Let's grab our Bibles this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter number 5 as we're concluding our series through this book of Scripture that we've entitled Under Pressure. We've been looking at how we as believers can live in a world that's sinful, dark, and broken, but we can do so victoriously because of who it is that we serve, because of the promises that we have from our great God. And aren't you glad that God can even take the difficulties that we go through and He can turn them into being good for us and for His glory. And He'll do that in our lives. And we're learning about that as we've gone through First Peter here. And as we conclude this chapter of Scripture, we're going to look at this thought, hunted but helped. Hunted but helped. So we're in First Peter chapter 5. We're going to begin reading with verse number 1. And if you found your place there, would you stand with me if you're physically able to do so out of respect for the reading of the Word of God? Notice with me as we begin in verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, this of course is Peter writing, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, and notice, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray this morning and ask God to help us understand that while we might be hunted by this very fearsome adversary, we can be helped. And we'll look at how we can in Scripture this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the truth of your word. We're thankful for your presence in our life. We're thankful that though we live in a world that's full of sin and darkness, despair, difficulty, and suffering, and we have an enemy, God, who presses in around us, who desires our destruction, that, God, you have designed ways that we can be helped by you and by your people. So, Lord, help us to connect with these truths this morning. And help us, Lord, most of all, to run to you who can help us, protect us, and heal us from all that we face here on earth. Bless our time in your word today. May we be strengthened, may we be encouraged, and may we be convicted where we need to be convicted. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We read here of an adversary that we have, an adversary that we know that we have. We, we know that as Peter is writing to these Christians some 2,000 years ago, that he's writing to a group of scattered pilgrims who are under great pressure because now that they've come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, 
They are being rejected and they are being marginalized. Some are having to leave their homes. Some are having to leave their jobs. Some are having to scrounge for necessity and and rely, of course, on the presence of God and the presence of God's people to help to strengthen them and to encourage them and to support them. And through all of that, Peter has been writing and encouraging and equipping these saints to be able to live strong and victorious lives, even in the face of all of this challenge and difficulty. And he concludes this book of scripture by pointing to the ultimate source of pressure that we have here on earth. And that is this great enemy, this great adversary. And that is not very encouraging to, how many of you understand, it's not encouraging to know you have enemies. We we like to be liked. We like to get along with people. Uh, We like to avoid confrontation where we can. And yet God shares with us through his servant, Peter, that we have this fearsome enemy who is on the hunt in this world, a, a roaring lion. This devil is a roaring lion who walks to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. So what do we do about that? Knowing we have this enemy that's so fearsome and so ferocious, what do we do about that? How do we press on knowing that he exists and knowing that he desires to devour? What do we do about that? Well, Peter's going to help us with that in this passage of Scripture. And he starts by alerting to us the fact that we need to take this seriously. Notice what he says here again in verse number eight. Be sober, be vigilant. Be sober, be vigilant. Hey, can I tell you, Christian, if there's ever a time that we need to take our faith seriously, it's right now. If there's ever a time that we need to identify the enemy and his traps and his snares and his false teaching and his false doctrine, there's ever a time that we need to expose all of these wiles of the devil, it is now. And we as believers, we need to be vigilant. We need to be on guard. You know, Christians are so passive today in their spiritual life. They think that we can just get up every day and walk out into this world unscathed. How many of you understand nobody leaves this world unscathed? We all have forms of attack. We all have pressure that's building up in around us. We all have this adversary that seeks our destruction. And yet we, we treat our Christian life so flippantly many times. Yet the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter number 6 that every day we get up, we need to put on the whole armor of God. That's part of being vigilant. That's part of understanding we have an enemy. And Paul outlines all of the armor. He talks about the belt of truth. He talks about the helmet of salvation. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness. He talks about feed being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He talks about the sword of the word of God. He talks about prayer encompassing all of our armor. And he shares this with us because he warns us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers against spiritual darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And how many of you know, God isn't fooling around when he shares that truth with us. And we can see it active and evident in our world today. So we need to be sober and we need to be vigilant and we need to take our Christian life seriously. Notice what else Peter says here. He says, be sober and be vigilant because we have this adversary. We have this roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
And then verse number nine, it says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. So we are to resist him. So there are means by which we can employ to resist the advances of this lion. Now, how many of you are like me? You enjoy nature, you enjoy animals, you enjoy watching nature shows on TV. And I've, I've alluded to this before in the past, but I think the picture is just perfect here. We've all seen, you know, these nature shows. And there's one in particular that I enjoyed watching. It was a presentation on PBS so many years ago, and they were chronicling the migration of these wildebeest through the African savanna. And these wildebeest were making their way, you know, all the way through this wide area of Africa and they'd dip down into the rivers and get their drink of water and they'd graze on some grassland for a while and they'd be making their trek to wherever it was that they were going. And inevitably, at certain points throughout their trip, uh, the herd would move in a certain direction and yet there'd be this one wildebeest who didn't get the memo. <laughs> He's kind of parked himself right out there in the wide open, right? Just kind of you know, grazing on something, just enjoying some time, taking some me time, you know. <laughs> and all of a sudden, as he's kind of gnawing on something there, and the, the rest of the herd has made their way now, you know, m- almost a mile away, it seems like. The ears on this wildebeest, you see, it, they perk up, they hear something. And the grass, not too far away, the camera pans. And how many of you wonder how these camera guys know where to put everything to catch all this stuff happening? <laughs> The camera pans and you see this female lion just, you know, making its way slowly through that brush, barely moving a blade of that grass. But these wildebeest ears pick up on it and all of a sudden you watch the camera pans back to the wildebeest and its head pops up. And it looks in great worry and concern over at the herd that's almost a mile away from it at this point. And then, I don't know how they do this either, but then the wildebeest looks at the camera, <laughs> at us, as if to say, rot row. Because <laughs> it knows what's going to happen. And at that moment, boom, that lion leaves that grass and seems to be on that wildebeest in just a blink of an eye. And then gently watches that wildebeest as it takes a nap. No, it's having lunch, folks. It's tearing into its prey. And this is what Peter is giving us a visual of. That we have this adversary. We have this roaring lion and he means you no good. And his desire is to find you in those vulnerable spots away from God and away from God's people and out there on your own where he can pounce on your mind and pounce on your heart and pounce on your life and begin his process of ripping your life apart because that's what he desires to do. Because he's no friend of ours. And Peter here in this final passage of this book of Scripture shares with us some things that we need to know to help us even though we're being hunted. So let's look at how we can be helped this morning. First of all, we see in this passage the help of Christ's hope. The help of his hope. Notice with me verse number one. 
Peter's writing to elders. He's writing to church leaders, to people who are helping to care for the flock of God. And he says, I want to exhort you. And I want to let you know that I'm also an elder. I can relate to you. We're all under pressure right now. I get it. But I want to encourage you about something. I've seen the sufferings of Christ. And by the way, there's hope in suffering. I know that sounds weird. I know that sounds counterintuitive. But there's hope in suffering. How many of you understand if Jesus didn't suffer, we could not be saved? And what Peter is essentially saying is I have seen literally with my eyes our Savior take our sins and our pain and our guilt on himself. How many of you know Jesus has never one time left us alone? And he pursued us so hotly that he came from heaven to earth in the form of man to take on every pain and every woe and every heartache and every point of grief and every point of betrayal and every point of loneliness and every point of hurt and every point of difficulty on himself so that we could know salvation. And Peter says, I know you're going through pain and struggle. I know I'm going through pain and struggle. But here's this blessed hope. Jesus went through all this pain and struggle. And the pain we feel right now is just the remembrance of sin. How many of you are glad if you're saved? Sin no more has dominion over you. We may feel the aches and pains of sin. We may feel the wounds of other sin. We may experience the wounds of our own sin. But if you're saved, how many of you are glad the sin is washed away? You're a new creature in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You're a new creature. You have a new life. You have a new hope. You have a new direction. Because in Jesus, all things are made new. And if you know him, we're not bound by that anymore. And so though we experience the broken world, though we experience the pain, though we experience the discomfort, these are just shadows of things that exist here on earth. How many of you know there's much greater things yet to come? And Peter alludes to that here in this verse of scripture. Notice with me verse number one. He says, though I've seen Christ's sufferings, this is what I want to focus with you on. Uh, We are partakers of the glory that shall be revealed. If you know Jesus, the the suffering doesn't define you. If you know Jesus, the sin doesn't define you. If you know Jesus, the brokenness doesn't define you. We're talking about Peter. We're talking about the Peter who betrayed Jesus three times. How many of you don't want to be that guy? Who looked at Jesus and said, I will never betray you. I will die for you. I will never turn my back on you. And then as Jesus was taken away as a prisoner, he said, I don't even know this guy. This is that Peter who could have ruminated and basked in his own failure and in his own wounds and in his own sorrow and his own difficulty. And he says, that is behind me. I still experience pain. I still experience frustration. I still experience difficulty and hurt because I still live in the sinful, broken world. But that doesn't define me. What defines me is the glory that will appear. And how many of you are glad that one day even our memories and even the physical body that bears the marks of sin and all of the decisions we made that were poor, that we're still paying the price for, so to speak, by consequence in our life. How many of you are glad that we'll all be taken away? Our bodies even will be new. We won't have a hint of anything remembering sin in our body. And we will be whole in Jesus. The Bible puts it this way. That we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And what a blessing that is. 
So Peter encourages, though we're hunted, though we experience pain and anguish and difficulty, and we have an adversary, and we have one who would wound us and strike us and destroy us if he could, we have this wonderful hope. We're not defined by our sin and our brokenness. We are defined by the promise of our Savior who says that we share in his glory. How many of you are glad that everything that Jesus is yours? Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. The Bible says we are joint heirs with the Son of God. Everything that is his is yours. We see the help of his hope. How many of you are helped by his hope this morning? (laughs) Maybe you came in and things didn't look too hopeful from this last week. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know. I, I get around the room and I ask people, how are you doing? How are you doing? And you know, we all have the pat answers. Oh, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. But how many of you know, we're not always doing good. We're, we're not always chipper and great. And this was a great week. I, I think there's probably some people in this room, you didn't have a great week. You didn't get good news. Maybe you got gnawed on a little bit by that, that adversary that we have. But I want you to know there's still hope that is on its way and it's a promise from God. And Peter identifies that for us as a help. How else are we helped though we have this great adversary? How else are we helped though we are in a position where we're hunted? Well, we see the help of a shepherd. We see the help of a shepherd. Notice verse number two here of 1 Peter 5. Feed the flock of God. So Peter is encouraging These other shepherds, these other pastors, these other spiritual leaders in the church to feed the flock of God. He says this, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, nor for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear... Ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not. First of all, how many of you are glad we have a chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ? He leads us, he guides us, he directs us, he's given us his spirit, he's given us his word. How many of you are glad our great shepherd will leave the 99 to go after the one? That's how much he cares for you and for me. He's a great shepherd. But that great shepherd who is unseen to us right now, is ministered to by us through under-shepherds. Through people who are called to look after the flock of God. And if God has put people in our lives to look after us spiritually, it would do us good to be in a position to be cared for by them spiritually. I believe that Satan has had a heyday during this whole time where people have been out of church. I believe there's a lot of people that are struggling in their Christian life right now. They're out there on the prairie. They're out there on the savannah. Now listen, I'm not saying there aren't some good reasons why people would stay out of church. I'm not saying that there aren't health concerns that people might have. But I'm saying this. I think the devil knows that he can take advantage of our humanity to say, I've gotten in a habit. I've gotten in a rut. I've gotten used to being out of church. I've gotten used to being afraid. I've gotten used to having excuses. And there are Christians that are languishing and being feasted on by our adversary today because they are not where they need to be being ministered to who they need to be ministered to by because God has a plan for his people. And that plan is to be with the people of God. 
just like that wildebeest we talked about, who's on his own out there, and that lion has a heyday with it. We as God's people need to be in God's house, trusting God's plan, listening to God's leadership, even through the godly men that he's put in our life to help to teach us and to guide us and to, to be there for us. And I understand that we look at Christian leadership sometimes with skepticism. How many of you know there have been a lot of Christian leaders who've blown it? Who have made a mockery of the name of Christ? Who have used and abused the people of God? And yet I still know many, 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 many good under-shepherds of God who are taking oversight of God's flock and are feeding and are guiding and are loving and are challenging and are helping to grow the lives of those people. But notice the warning. These shepherds are not to turn into lions or wolves. Notice these are some qualifications for good leadership in a church. It says, yeah, we're to take the oversight, but not by constraint. We're not to be constrained in it and we're not to constrain others through it. A person who takes this oversight position, a person who's called to be one of these elders, should not be a person that you have to twist their arm to get them to do it. It should be a call that exists in their life and in their heart. It should be evident that God has called them to do it. And they should not also constrain others in their process of doing it. Notice they shouldn't do it for improper motives. In verse number two, these under shepherds should not serve for money. They shouldn't serve to enrich themselves or to garner things for themselves. They should do it because it's the call of God. Now, that's not saying that we don't have full-time Christian workers that serve in churches and in schools and in colleges and so on and so forth. But it means that the motivation of the shepherd ought not be to be a wolf or to be a lion and to devour God's people. Paul, many times in the New Testament, spoke out against these false teachers and false leaders who abused the flock of God by fleecing them and trying to shake them down for everything they could line their own pockets with. And how many of you know that's rampant in our prosperity gospel environments today? Where you're promised this, if you'll plant a seed of this, and you're promised this. Hey, don't listen to any guy's promise. Only listen to the promises of God. Only listen to God's word. Only listen to what the Bible shows us is true and is clear. We've got to be careful of this. They shouldn't serve or minister for money. Filthy lucre, inappropriate funds. We have pastors and Christian leaders who have embezzled and have committed fraud and have bought private jet planes while others thought they were giving to building programs. Hey, listen. The house of God should be a good reputation in the community for handling God's money well and doing God's things with God's money. How many of you are glad for the missions conference we just had, by the way? And what an exciting thing to see these ministries come in, give an account of what they're doing with the money, showing the ministries that are taking place, showing the people who are being saved, showing the schools that are being planted and developed, showing the different things that are happening with God's finances. What a blessing that is. And I'm so glad that our church has responded and we've had many people that say, hey, we're going to give more to missions this next year. So much so that we're planning on increasing our missionaries from 33 to 40. We're adding seven missionaries just this next year. What a blessing. Somebody say amen about that. That's a, that's a good thing, by the way. That's a good thing. 
So we, we, we don't do it for our own gratification and gain. We do it because we want to feed the sheep. We want to feed the people of God. Notice, we're not to do it so that we can just boss people around and be a lord over them. Notice with me, verse number three, neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. We're not to, to want to rule over people as elders, as leaders in the church. We're to guide, we're to instruct. There is authority that accompanies that. But uh, hey, listen, I'll tell you this, I'm nobody's Holy Spirit. How many of you are glad you got your own Holy Spirit? God ministers to you. I'm, I'm, I'm none of your family's husbands. I'm none of your family's dads. That's, that's all your responsibility. And I'm glad. <laughs> I, I'm a pastor of a church that preaches the word of God, confronts sin, takes out the shepherd's staff, and smacks away the lion and the wolves. These are my responsibilities as a pastor. Your responsibility then is to humbly follow the word of God and to serve God all together here as members of Fellowship Baptist Church. So we find here that the shepherd isn't supposed to become the wolf or the lion. It's supposed to be a help to the people of God. How do we find help that we have a great adversary? Well, we find help in his hope. We find help in a shepherd. We also find help in humility. Notice the help of humility here as we continue on. Verse number five. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. You know, that's exactly where the devil wants you. The devil wants you full of pride. Because that's really what the ultimate sin of, of Satan himself was. You know, we wouldn't have Satan today if there wouldn't have been an angel in heaven named Lucifer who said, I will exalt myself above God. I will place myself in the throne of God. I will lift myself up above the Most High. You see, Lucifer filled his heart with pride, and God does not receive pride. God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. And so he threw Lucifer and a third of the heavenly host out of heaven. And now we have Satan, and we have this roaring lion, and we have this adversary who's full of pride, and he wants you to be full of pride. How many of you know our world is full of pride today? We have pride this month, pride that month, pride this thing, pride that thing. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Hey, we are full of pride, and we are full of destruction because of our pride. You know who we need to look to in all humility? We need to look to God again. But we have our eyes on ourselves. I'm this, I'm that. Let's have a parade. Let's have a special day. Let's have this. I'm not against recognizing people. How many of you are glad we had an opportunity to recognize our veterans here this morning? What a blessed thing to be able to do that. I'm not against recognizing people and being grateful for people. But our world is so full of pride today. Can you, can you believe all the things we have to recognize? I mean, my calendar is so... I hate having an iPhone because it puts every single special day on your calendar. You can't even see what you have to do because there's this pride, there's that pride, there's this pride, there's over here some pride, over here's a little bit more pride. We've got to recognize this prideful thing and that prideful thing. Are we not the most arrogant people in all the world? Full of ourselves. And this is what Satan was. And this is where he wants us to be. Why? Because he has the victory if we're full of pride. The Bible says that pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We've got to be careful about pride in our life. So we need the help of humility. And the Bible tells us that 
that we are to be subject one to another. You can't help, you can't serve if you don't humble yourself. You can't be a benefit to others. You won't be protected if you don't follow good leadership. God's designed it that way. Notice what else he says here about humility. Verse number six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. How many of you believe this morning his hand is mightier than our hand? So let's humble ourselves and let's be under his hand instead of constantly wanting to lift our hand. You know what that leads to? A world full of angry people who keep shaking their fist in the air. When you're not under the hand of God and trusting him and in his mercy and his grace, you make a fist and you shake it at everything else in your life. I'm mad at you, and 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 I don't have what you have, and you don't look at me the way I want you to, and fist, fist, fist in the face, fist in the air. What does that come from? It comes from pride in our heart. We need to humble ourselves and be under the mighty hand of God so we can relax a little bit. How many of you think the world needs to take a chill pill? Just chill. You can't chill if you're not under God's mighty hand. You're not going to be satisfied. You're not going to be grateful. You're not going to be thankful. You're not going to have a heart of joy if you're not under the, the mighty hand who can protect you and save you and provide for you and give you meaning and give you purpose and give you direction. We need to be under the mighty hand of our great God. Humble ourselves and be under his mighty hand. Notice what else he says. Notice with me as we continue here. Verse number seven, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. It's just so important. You know, an evidence of pride is our worry. We think we're the center of the universe, so we have to hang on to all the stuff that we can't even control. And we pace and we walk and we work irritations in our lining of our gut because we worry and we fret. And it's because we don't give things over to the Lord. We don't trust him. We don't humble him. No, I've got that, God. I'm going to take care of it. How are you going to take care of it? How many? I bet there's people all over the room, including myself today, you brought things in here that you have no control over. There's no way you're going to solve it. There's no way you're going to speak into it. There's nothing you can do about it other than give it over to God, but you won't give it over to God because you're full of pride. And Satan is whooping on you because of this burden that you're bearing. Satan is whooping on you because you can't figure it out. Satan is whooping on you because you can't get by it. He's tearing you up because you can't do it on your own. And let me just help you. You can't do it on your own. But you have a great God who cares for you. How many of you are glad God cares for you this morning? He knows you. The Bible says he knows the numbers of hair that are on your head, which is easier for him to know about some of you than others. He knows you intimately. The Bible says he knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. Get this. He knows your name. He knows your name. This God who knows you cares for you. And so you have to give him what you cannot handle. And stop worrying about it. And stop fretting about it. And stop ruminating over it. And stop meditating on that and start meditating on his word. Start meditating on his promises and what he can do. The help of humility. Lastly, this morning, and we'll be done, is we have this roaring lion, this adversary that seeks to devour us. We also have the help of his healing. 
We have the help of his healing. Again, in verse number 8, we're told about this adversary, roaring lion, he devours. Take him seriously. Resist him and he will flee. And then notice what it says in verse number 9. It says, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. That's interesting. This word accomplished means that it's brought to fruition. It's healed up. There's a remedy for it. Let me, let me tell you, there's no, listen to me, there's no pain you're going through or have gone through that Jesus cannot heal. How many of you know if he can raise dead bodies from the grave, he can raise up whatever's wounded you? It's been accomplished in other brethren. How many of you are glad we have the whole scriptures to look at people like David? And though he was injured and wounded greatly from his sin, God healed him and restored to him the joy of his salvation. How many are glad for the author, Peter, who betrayed Jesus, and yet you find Peter on the shore of Galilee with Jesus eating fish, and Jesus restores lovingly Peter back into relationship and says, feed my sheep. I'm glad for the people that are described in Scripture who get wounded and get hurt and get attacked and almost seemingly destroyed, and yet Jesus heals them from all their pain. And how many of you are looking forward to that great day when all of our pain is completely wiped away, including the tears that fall from our eyes? What a blessing that will be. The help of this healing, it's accomplished in your brethren. Uh, Notice how he describes this healing in verse number 10. But the God of all grace, and his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. The thorn is brutal. Wasn't it brutal for Paul? Take this away from me, he said to God three times. My grace is sufficient for you. How is it sufficient? What does grace accomplish in our life? What does God do through pain and suffering? Well, notice what he says here. Peter, as he writes... Verse number 10, but the God of all grace, who have called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while. You won't suffer forever. You won't suffer forever. How many of you understand this life is a very short time? And the older we get, the shorter we, we understand that it is. My wife and I, the other day, we're, you know, we're, we're taking some things down, getting ready to prepare for decorating for Christmas. We've decorated for Thanksgiving already and all this stuff. And you look at pictures on the wall. How many of you looked at a picture of yourself five years ago? (laughs) We had this lady come over to our house one time. I think we were five years into our ministry there in Southern California. And we had a group of people over to our house. And this one lady was there and she was looking at pictures on the wall. And, uh, she looked at a picture of me right before we, we moved out there and said, when was this taken? And I said, oh, it was right before we moved out here. And she looked at me, and she looked at the picture, and she looked at me, and she says, man, you look older. <laughs> I invited you into my home. I'm feeding you my food. Go away. And we find that this life is not really that, it's not really that long. You look at your kids growing up around you. You realize that just a blink of an eye, these things go by. It's amazing that we're coming to the end of 2021. I was supposed to be flying around in my Jetsons mobile by now, (laughs) right? 
you're only going to suffer for a time. But then after that, notice what happens in verse number 10. You suffer for a while, but then I'm going to make you perfect. That word perfect literally means, in its native word, a healing or a restoring or a completing. I'm going to heal you of those wounds. I'm going to heal you of that suffering. And in that, I'm going to establish you, I'm going to strengthen you, and I'm going to settle you. You won't be healed if you don't find yourself settled in the healer. You won't find yourself made whole and complete if you're not settled and grounded in the one who can complete you. So we have this adversary, and it sounds grim and dire. And he's a roaring lion, and he's tearing off after us, and he, he wants to devour us, but there's hope because there's help. And there's help in the hope that we have in Jesus. And there is help with the shepherd. And there is help in humility. And there is help in healing. Are you being helped today? Don't flounder off on your own. Don't be that wildebeest that looks up and then looks at the camera and says, I'm done. Grab onto the help that Jesus has for you.